and welcome to another episode of That 60s Recording Podcast. The podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. Today is the final part of my conversation with Ron Ryan. Um, really hope you're enjoying these. As I've said before, I think Ron Ryan is a bit of an unsung hero, if you like, um, of 60s music. Uh, which tends to be the case a lot of the time, you know, a lot of people who were involved in 60s music sort of just moved on and went and did did something else. Um, you know, they probably, well, may or may not have set out to be a musician in the sense that a lot of people do these days where they go to college, you know, well, essentially like I did. And they have it in their minds they want to, to to have a career. You know, it was very different and went off and did other, other work afterwards. And um, I'm hoping that this podcast goes somewhere towards um, telling those stories that are sometimes... Sometimes not heard. Sometimes I've interviewed people who've been interviewed many times. But, um, you know, I like the idea of getting Ron's story out there. Um, I've also alluded in other episodes um, that I have a project going on with Ron. Um, He's been sending me some songs that he's been writing and they are fantastic. And I'm very excited about it. And I'm hoping that um, I'm very busy at the minute, but I'm hoping that over the next year or so I can organize my organize myself enough um to get this project sorted um and uh, do it the analog justice it deserves um so yes anyway i'm rambling now i'm gonna dive straight into part three of my conversation with ron ryan i, I read a bit about the walkers and um and how sort of sort of the idea of chasing a record deal that interests me and do you, can you remember much about the process of of speaking with with people and how it all sort of ended up not coming well, we, about we tried we tried we tried to get a record deal i mean we went into um a competition in north london of mm. all the north london bands and we won oh wow and it was supposed to be I got a photo somewhere. I sent it. All I come up with, I said they'll all be doing the same thing. They'll all be standing there doing a cover of an American song, this that, and the other, and it'll all be much of a muchness. And I had this idea. I said we change we change the name to Count Drac and the Drax. <laughs> <laughs> I love and it. My mum, who was a seamstress, made us cloaks. You know these with the cloaks with the red line in yeah. and everything. And, um, and and we went on um, uh, as Count Drac and the Drax. And it was a bit of a pinch off, off of screaming Lord Such in a way. Because yeah. all the girls were screaming because I was going, eee! and all that, you know. Yeah. And uh, But we won. And and, you know, and, and, it, and it was a, a recording contract uh, that turned into... A few hours booked into a into reading sound. That's that's. It was a big con, you know. Mm. There was no contact. So uh, and at that time, it, it wouldn't have done any good because all the I was uh, I was the only one that was professional because I was making my money in Denmark Street in Banali mm. um, as as um, um, a backup singer on on cheap records. Morris used to do them. You know, Canon Records and things like that. They the, done the, the copy, the copycat record. Yeah, the copycat records. You know, they. Yeah. I know. I used to go in there and I either sing. I used to. I sang the Green Grass of Home, uh, Bring It On Home, and, and some of the Beatles stuff. And um, 
with people like Danny Street. I don't know if that rings a bell, Danny Street no, in the I'll old look, days. I'll look him up. Yeah, Danny Street, who was always there. Danny Street, Tom Jones done some as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and a few others. And, but it, it was good. I mean, we got £2.50 aside. Mm. Now, £2.50 back in the early 60s was a lot of bloody money. Yeah. I mean, if you were not joking, if you was earning 20 quid a week at, at a skilled job, you were doing bloody well. Wow. And, and I used to go to Denmark Street and sometimes get three sessions in the, in the day, you know. Mm. Uh, 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 and, and on them session, there might be two two records. One was a good one. We went in there. I was and a rhythm guitarist. Oh yeah, I, I was booked a few times as rhythm guitarist. Mm-hmm. One of the sessions would be PJ Proby. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we was all sitting there. We went through the two songs he was supposed to be doing, and we went through them. No trouble. Very easy. <clears throat> and um, we went through uh, the two songs and. An hour later, he still he turned up with a, a, a wooden crate because he didn't have plastic in them days. A wooden crate, a beer, and a bird on each arm, pissed out of his head. <laughs> he, he says, "Sorry, I'm late. Sorry, I'm late." And he went in the recording, went in the booth, and we started on the first song. When he stopped halfway through, he said, "Oh, I don't want to recall crack like this." He said, and he stormed out. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And but we all got paid, so we didn't mind. But they were they were fuming. Wow. And another one, uh, um, um, Clem Catini, a drummer, yeah. a session drummer, I know, uh, said, uh, you, you're busy this afternoon, Ron. I said, no, mate. He said, uh, uh, can you play tambourine? I said, uh, I said, I can play anything, mate. What do you want? <laughs> said, well, we're in Regent Sound and we're doing this record and there's no spare track for the tambourine and, and they want this tambourine to be quiet. And he said, I can't do it because I'm drumming. And I said, yeah, I'll come and do it, mate. And it was, uh, uh, if you want to look it up, it's called Twinkle. Um, I think it's called Tommy or something. Ways at the Gates of Heaven. Terry. Ways at the Gates of Heaven for me to... Yeah, uh, by an artist called Twinkle. Mm. And um, the song's called Terry. And tambourine player is me. And I've got £2.50 for that. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) I've got Twinkle Ripley. Yeah, that's probably her, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Uh, 1964 this is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. So that's how I was making my money. But the band all had good jobs. And we we used to play on weekends, you see. So Mm. it's no use really... If if we had a record, they wouldn't leave leave their jobs. Because they used to moan at me spending so much time with Dave Clark and helping his band. And I said, well, they are going professional. That's that. That's it. I said, we can't go professional. I said, there's no future in this band um, while everybody's at work. And I said, I don't want you to give up them jobs because a couple of them have families. I, I, I refuse to let you give up them jobs because it's such a precarious I said I don't mind because I'm doing well and I've got a bit of a name anyway with session work because I could in them days well I suppose I could do it now but I used to sing anything that come along you know I just had to hear it through once I've got it in there and I always used to get it done in one take I mean when I was making uh, uh, albums with my bands I made a few out in the Nations and Flyer and things like that later on with country bands um, we used to, we used to do an album in a day. Wow! 
Yeah, I, I, I rarely had to take one more than one take, you know, because yeah. I had it all. Re- I knew what I was going to do before I'd done it, <laughs> and um, and the players I, I had with me, and it was very simple music. We just stormed through it, you know. Yeah. Most of my albums were done in one day, and then I'll go back the next day and mix it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's um, it's a different, a completely different world to now, really, isn't it? Oh, blimey, yeah, yeah. But uh, people don't, they say to me, oh, there's a mistake on track three of the album, of the album, the guitarist comes in a bit early. And I said, I oh, know, I heard all that. I said, he said, why didn't you stop it? I said, because the rest was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I think I mean, people are accepting, aren't they, of, of small errors? It's not, you know, they, they well, don't... Well, I don't know if I've sent you a song called, of mine called For- Forget Me Not. Yes, I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. Well, funny enough, um, everybody's heard some of my songs. They always pick that one out. Now, that's just me and the guitar. And I think, well, there's all that's backing and that on the other ones. They say, oh, we do like that one. And I think sometimes less is best. Yeah. And simp- I always say, if it's got that feel, that's the main thing. Absolutely. I'm just looking at my list and forget me not, is he's on the list of the of my preferred ones too. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's it. I mean, I've sent it to friends of mine who, who like to muck around and record. They've got their own little recording studios at home. And my, my, well, they're all, they're all in the States where they've got much more money. Yeah. And um, they like mucking about and they send me what they've done and, and for my critic and I always tell them and I said, I don't mind being being a critic for you as long as you've got a thick skin because if there's anything wrong I'll tell you yeah. <laughs> and I said but that's only my opinion but um, they said oh no you know what you're doing there's that and the other I said well I think I do but if I tell you anything it's only because I want you to do it right and, and in, the, in the long run it'd be better for you you know yeah of course yeah absolutely I mean I get no end of people I get oh people I get I've written this song, and um, can you listen to it and tell me what you think? I always write back and say, yeah, I'll listen. Tell you what what I think, as long as you don't mind me telling you not what you want to hear, but what I do think. Oh, no, be honest. And some will get real happy when you tell them. I say, well, why do you think you can sing in that key? (laughs) You know, I say, "That's, that's not your key, and... Well, it goes well with the guitar. I said, bugger the guitar. The guitar's icing on the cake. The main thing is the voice on the song. Yeah. You know, I've got a mate in America, Rob, as they say in America, he sent me one 10 years ago, and I ripped him a new one, as they say in America. <laughs> I, really, I really tore it apart. I said, what the bloody hell are you doing singing in E? I said, it's way above you. I said, you've got such a limited range. You, you, you know, it, it's ridiculous what you got. I said, I said, but I said, if you get it in the right key, there's something there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I didn't think I'd hear from him again. And he comes straight back and he said, "Oh, how about this one? I tried it in this key." He said, and I said, "Ah," I said, "Now you're getting somewhere, mate. You're in your <laughs> comfort zone, you know." And so we've been mates ever since. He's covered a lot of my songs and. Uh, and he's very, very wealthy as well. You know? Oh, Christ. He's just, <laughs> just built... He's had a house built in Las Vegas. Wow. 
Matt a bungalow, his front room, you get my bloody bungalow in his front room. <laughs> you know, he, he drives a caddy, yeah. um, a, new, a new caddy, and he's got about three, four Mustangs. Wow. Oh, yeah. But um, I, I, I don't worry me, you know. He, he, he says, oh, I must have met. He said, I'm a, I'm a bit wealthy, and some people get a bit jealous. And I said, well, you, you, I, I presume you work for it. He said, yeah, I'm an insurance salesman, you know. Yeah. I'm my own insurance company. I said, well, there you go. I said, you've earned it. Nobody bloody give it to you, do they, mate? And I said, the only difference between you and me is I've got a bit more talent than you, and you've got a bit more money than me. He go. laughed. He, he laughed his head off. And, he, <laughs> and we've been we've we've been firm friends ever since, you know. Amazing. And I keep on saying, I say, oh, I like that guitar you got there. He said, I'll send you one. I said, no, you won't. Said, if you send it, you'll get it back. I said, no. I said, we're friends. I don't need I don't need gifts. Thanks. Yeah. But French friendships enough gift. Oh, brilliant. You know what? Um. What was Clem Catini like to work with? Oh, brilliant. Clem Catini, um, a gentleman, an absolute gentleman. Uh, you won't find anybody in the business, I'll bet, say a bad word against him. Really? That's, that's Such interesting. Such a nice... And I, I'd go in the session like with the Trogs or something like that because uh, uh, they were managed by the bloke who managed me... Uh, uh, Larry Page, yeah. uh, uh, and um, he managed the Trogs, and uh, I used to go in a session with him, and nine times out of ten, Clem, Clem would be on the drums, and because um, I used a session men, a lot of the bands did, and uh, hello, Ron, hello, Clem, you here? And, and I always remember, we on a Friday in the session, and Saturday, the band I was in, we were playing in Barnstable, one night standing bloody Barnstable. <laughs> But the road's much better in them days anyway, and it was bloody good money, and it was he was on with um, Wee Willie Harris. <laughs> he was in the band with Wee Willie... Oh, Christ, what, what an idiot, that Wee Willie Harris. He goes on, he does... I Go Eight, that was his big... That was his only hit. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a Neil Sedaka song. But anyway, he, he went on and with a, with a lion... Uh, with a leopard skin... Uh, kind of cloak and all that, and uh, oh, like oh, bloody all, and he called the girls were screaming, and, and then he goes off the band, does a song while he changes, and he comes on and starts singing Paper Moon. Right. I don't know if you know the song. I do. Yeah. He starts singing. I never was. What? It's a rock and roll thing, <laughs> and he's, he's doing he's doing a, a, a cabaret act, you know, and he got booed off. <laughs> and I went in the dressing room because the manager said, "You better get back on." I said, "No, we're not booked to play all bloody night, mate. You know, we're not playing his set as well unless you give us some more money, which he did." So we went back on. But I went in the change room. He said, "See if you can get him back on stage." And he was sobbing his bloody heart out. Uh-huh. I said, what are you crying for? He said, well, he booed me off. I said, I don't blame him. I said, I was one of the bastards who were booing. <laughs> oh, he says, I said, what do you think? Do you do I go ape and you come on singing, oh, it's only a paper moon. What do you think? Oh, Las Vegas. <laughs> and uh, I had a right go at him, but uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> bloody idiot. <laughs> but Clem, no, Clem, he, he played with Screaming Little Such. 
Um, he, he was on so many sessions. Every time I went in with a different band, nine to, it was either him or Bobby Graham on the drums, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Clem, such a nice guy, really. Comes from Italian stock, of course. Uh, I think his dad came over and sold ice cream or something. Okay. And uh, no, you won't you won't find anybody as as nice as that. As Clem Gutini, you know, apart yeah. from yourself, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and what um, what was Bobby Graham like to work with? Uh, to be honest with you, I only see him through the glass. You know, I, I, I didn't really talk to him or anything. I didn't even know that he was the drummer for the Dave Clark Five. Oh, right, I see, yeah. Because oh, I never went on a session, you see. I just wrote the songs, and um, Dave never took anybody in on the sessions. Mm. And I never asked to go anyway, because I, I used to get Mick round, you know, Mike round to my place, and we used to sit at my piano, and I'd work, I'd show him the song, then I'd have to transpose it, because I, I write in C and sing in lower keys. Mick, Mick Mike was more uh, a tenor singer, yeah. so I had to transpose the songs, you know, to, to a higher key. And uh, but he never said anything about Dave not playing the drums, and I never asked him or anything. I just they just went in and done it. You know? Yeah, yeah. So is that how you delivered the songs? So you taught them to your brother, and then he went and showed them to the rest of the band. No, no. When I um, uh, uh, what what the Dave Clark ones on my own. Oh, so when you wrote for Dave Clark? Did oh you... no, but my brother left by then. Okay. Okay, Lenny Davison. Oh no, what I used to do, <coughs> Dave used to say, well, we're going in the studio, we're going to do an A-side. <coughs> I said, oh, fair enough. And um, I, I, so, I, so I went in, uh, I phoned Dave up, and he, he'd come and bring Mike with him, and I'd sit at the, uh, the piano or pick up my guitar and sing him the song. And Dave would say, oh, I like that. Uh, they, that's our next A-side, or... Yeah, it's all right. I think it's more B-side or an album track. The biggest laugh was that the biggest one I ever wrote for him that sold more copies than any other, and including download, was because. Yeah. And he didn't like it. He said, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a bloody ballad. I said, yeah, but I said, you're, you're in danger, Dave, of taking the band down the road of a one-trick pony. I said, you're getting typecast. Well, he said, that's what the Dave Clark Five sound is. I said, well, yeah, but you've got a bloody good band. You've got some good singers, got some good players. I said, you can do other things. I said, I said, why not do this as an A-side? This because an A-side. I said, not being funny, it's a bloody good song. I said, um, it's catchy. I think people like it. And I said... The main thing is, I said, um, it's the last thing that people would think you'd come out with when you say Dave Clark's got a new single. Mm. And they'd be waiting for bang, 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 bang. And all of a sudden, this ballad comes on the air. And they said, what? I said, not only that, I said, our biggest market is America. I said, the mums and dads hate the British invasion. They hate these long-haired singers and all this, that and the other. They detest them and they're British as well. If you come in with a ballad like this, they'll probably like it. They'll probably buy it. You could start a new market, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, rubbish, he said, no. He said, no, I'll, I'll use it on an album track as a filler or, or put it on the B-side. 
and it, and it come out as a B-side until it hit America. Then it went, <laughs> then it went crazy, and of course they. That went as an A side. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine it must have been quite exciting when you know, like Julian Lennon was covering because, and there's been so many great covers of it, and it must be a nice feeling knowing that you wrote that and it's so well respected. Yeah, well, I was driving to a gig in the eighties when it came out, and um, um, I'm, I'm not—I I'm, wouldn't class myself as an emotional guy. I'm pretty laid back and uh, take things as they come. Mm. But I listened to it and I thought, blimey, that, that was the best. I've heard some covers of Because, but it's the best one I've heard, you see. Yeah. And um, then they said, oh, that was Because by by Julian Lennon. And that was written by the drummer, Dave Clark. Oh. I pulled into a lay-by and just sat there. You know, I was so upset. You know, I can imagine. I must have sat there about ten minutes. I, you know, turned the radio off, and I just sat there, written by Dave Clark, bloody hell. And I spent years and years and years trying to contact him to let him know that I wrote it. Mm. <coughs> and um, um, funny enough, I was on Facebook, and there was there was there was something about him, and. Anyway, I put a message on there and said, by the way, Dave Clark did write that song because I'm, I'm the writer, Ron Ryan. And actually, he come back. He said, um, oh, he said, oh, thanks for writing such a great song. <laughs> well, he said, I, I know things were rough in them days and there's lots of stories like that, he said, you know. And I thought, oh, well, at least he knows who wrote it. <laughs> yeah. It does... Um... The more I speak to people who were involved in in that era, it does seem really complicated the way everything worked with, um, you know, making a note of who wrote what, who played on what, and oh yeah, I, and getting ripped off. I mean, uh, uh, oh, so many people got ripped off. I mean, I got ripped off something terrible, but uh, mm-hmm. so did a lot of other people. It's, it's, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's um. Just what do you think it was? Just not making note of of who did what, or was just not the right sort of systems in place, or greed. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, with Dave Clark, it was when he saw. I mean, he. he I mean, he, he bought brand new E Type Jag. He bought a new house. The money was rolling in, but yeah. when he saw what was what was supposed to be coming to me. And he's, he, he, you know, he's think that should be mine as well, you know. Mm. I, I think it's all coming from me, you know. That, that's the way his mind works, you know. Yeah. I'd, what would you describe as the Tottenham sound as opposed to, like, Mersey Beat? The Tottenham sound is... Uh, you've got your pen handy, or it's, it's on it's on being recorded yes. anyway. The Tottenham sound is the Hackney sound. Mm-hmm. The Hackney sound comes from a record called Your Ma Said You Cry In Your Sleep Last Night. Okay. By Doug Sheldon. I think I've heard that. Right. Yeah. When, when we finish talking, go on to um, YouTube, Doug Sheldon, Your Ma Said You Cry In Your Sleep Last Night. That is the Dave Clark Five sound. Okay, interesting. Um, listen to the drum break. Towards, towards the end of it as well. You, you're, you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. But it's, I was doing a gig in Crawley 
always remember. Mm. And um, there was us and a, 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 a DJ playing records in the break. And one of the records he played was that. And when I heard it, I went up to him and said, what's it called? Made note of it. I bought the record. I took it around to Dave Clark. I said, this is how the Dave Clark Five should sound. And he listened to it. He said, you're right. He said, and we've got the instrumentation to do it. And that's where the top of the sound come from. Oh, brilliant. So it really was a, a proper, like an actual situation. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, it come from that record. Fantastic. Um, when and when you, you listen to that record, you'll understand exactly what I mean. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I will go and listen to it straight after this. And what... Uh, were you? Did you feel in direct competition with the Mersey Beat sound, or what? What was that? Yes, uh, at the time when I was when I was writing bits and pieces, and that was selling millions, and and because the, 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 the Americans took it up, they started selling, and this and the other. Um, I thought, ah, right, in competition with the Beatles and all that up there, but I'm, I mean the Beatles right away. I mean the Beatles are genius. Yeah, you know they 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 had it all sewn up. But, um, and the last song I ever wrote for him was Any Way You Want It. I, I kind of always ask everybody what their advice would be to to so either like your younger self or, you know, something you like, kind of the way you've experienced. So whether it's even even industry-wise or just sort of songwriting-wise, what would you, what kind uh, well, of... Well, the, the, trouble, the trouble is, is, is what I said in the first place, it was early days. There was mm. no ground rules. We didn't know what we was doing, you know. It was early days. Yeah. You know, in, in, my, in them days, uh, a secondary modern school kid like me would leave school at 15, wouldn't go to university or anything else, go straight into a factory like I did, mm-hmm. or an office as a ma- menial worker, and spend the left rest of your life in that job until you retired and died. <laughs> That's what happened. I mean, with, with this revolution of music and that, all of a sudden, working-class lads were becoming rich, some of them, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and could make a living, or even me. I mean, I made a good living gigging with, with bands and this and the other. More than I could in a factory or anything like that. Yeah. And I'm having a good time with it, you know. So I can't, you know, it's it's chalk and cheese. Different days, different ways. You must um, have had a, you must have had some, quite a bit of self-belief in, in your ability to, to sort of rest your living on it. And, you know, surely you're, so like every, if everybody else was doing that, you must have chosen quite a different path. Um, oh, yeah. Well, what what happened is I was working in a dirty, smelly factory. Um, and I hated it. I hated it. But that's what you've done. You yeah, know, yeah. You, there was no option. There was no, nothing else. And I always wanted to be a writer or, or something like that. You know, I knew what I wanted. But the trouble is, I was I was an apprentice in this engineering firm. And um, I hated every minute of it. And I worked next to this old guy. He was really old. He was 50 if he was a day. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, at that age, at 15, he was ancient. Yeah. And all he would do was to moan and moan about if he, he wished he could have done this and he wished he could have done that, and this, that, and the other. And um, I said to myself back then when I was 15, I said, one thing you're not going to do when you're old like I am now 
is to sit back and thought, oh, if only I'd have done this, if only I'd have done that, you know. Mm. I'm going to do it. I want to do it. And I will do it, you know. And I thought I had the talent. I thought I had the, uh, the gift to do it. And so I went with it. And it, 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 it was hard, mate. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was really, really hard at times. But then, then, then suddenly, oh, I, you know, this, that, and the other, and I, I bought my first house. I mean, I bought my first house when I was 24, wow. and, and, and at that time, kids like me, you know, young men like me didn't buy houses. You, you rented or get, get, get a council house. Yeah, yeah. I actually bought one, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. It's a, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm... People in their twenties buying houses now just doesn't happen either. It's a it's a big deal even now. That's great. Well, I, my first house was in in um, Edmonton, mm-hmm. North London. Three bedroom semi, massive garden, two thousand nine hundred and fifty. Wow. <laughs> I, I went with the wife. We, we went to the site agent, have a look around. We saw that one, and I said, I went in. And I said, oh, I'd like to see that. The manager phoned him up, and um, the, the wife was there. So he said, can we come round, you see? So we went round there. I had a look round, and I said, yeah, just what we're looking for. We'll have this. I said, knock a couple of hundred off, and I think they wanted three grand for it. Mm. So, so I said, knock some money off, and we'll have it. So they knocked off the 50 quid, 100 quid, which was a lot of money then, yeah. off of it. And uh, we went back. To, this is true. This is true. Went back, and it was in the manager's car. He took us down there in his car, brought us back to the office. I'm sitting there with, with him, and I said, I'm having it. He's getting the mortgage form, right? Mm-hmm. Gets a sherry out. <laughs> Glass of sherry each. Amazing. <laughs> oh, it was a big deal buying a house in them days. Yeah. And we're, we're filling up the form and this and the other, and this is true, I'm not having you on. Um, it got down to occupation, and I said musician. If he could have got that sherry back in the bottle, it would have gone back in the bottle. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so he said, did I hear right, musician? I said, yeah. Oh, no, he said no. Oh, well, a bit of a waste of time, really. I said, what do you mean a waste of time? He says, well, you ain't going to get a mortgage, no way. And I says, why not? He said, not as a musician, it's not a proper job. You know, I don't, the mortgage company won't accept that. Yeah. And I said, well, what about if I put 1,500 quid down in cash as a deposit? <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me, he said, oh, are you are you joking? I said, no. He said, well, what, who do you bank with? I said, uh, Midland Bank, which is now HBC, mm. you know, a, a, you know a big bank. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, I know the manager there. Would you mind if I phoned him just to confirm that? I said, no, no, you go ahead. So he phoned him and um, he said, oh, I've got a Mr. Ryan here and he reckons he, he's interested in buying a house. And... Yeah, he said he reckons he can put fifteen hundred pound down in cash now, or or a check now. And and he said the manager of accounts asked him how much he was. He said two thousand nine hundred fifty. He said, well, actually, you can buy it now. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you're joking. He said, no, no, he's got enough in his account to buy it now. Wow. And he said to me, he said, 
They say, you've got enough money to buy it now. I said, yeah, I, I want a mortgage, though, for tax relief. <laughs> I said, I want some kind of mortgage. So he says, oh, yeah. So right, I I'll tell him what, my hands were shaking when I was writing 1,500 quid. That was a lot of money back then. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> that was more than a year, that much more than a, a, a year's salary for most people. Well, yeah, so you said most yeah. people earn, tw- what, 20, 20 quid, quid a week? week yeah. yeah. So uh, that's the story of my first dance. And how times were back then. So really, you know, um, it paid off there, you know. There we have it. Ron Ryan, part three. uh, The final part of my conversation with him. I really hope you've enjoyed that. I just could listen to him talking all day he's got some fantastic stories he's such a positive guy he's got such an incredible outlook on life and uh you can see why you know he I, I can't remember if he speaks about them in the episodes or not but he told me about all the people he's in touch with in america um and just this he's got such a incredible sort of legacy behind him and i i really enjoyed speaking to him and he's just got such a zest for life um, and I, yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, so I hope that you have loved it too. Um, uh, yeah, keep an ear out for, for this project that I've got happening. Um, should be, there should be some, some, something seeing the light of day. I mean, let's be honest, it's going to be a year or so, but uh, the older we get, the years just fly by, don't they? So it will seem like it will come next week. <laughs> um, Next week, I have uh, Liam Goff on the podcast, who is a drummer from Australia. He drums in a band called Teskey Brothers, the Teskey Brothers. That's T-E-S-K-E-Y, kind of Motown, soul-inspired Americana music is how I would describe it. And they record um, all analog and... uh, that did their last album with Paul Butler, who recorded Michael Kiwanuka's first album, which if you haven't checked that out, or the Teskey Brothers, go and check both of those out. Um, absolutely incredible. Um, Paul Butler is a king of um, sort of tape recording, if you like. And uh, hoping to get him on the podcast. <laughs> hoping that Liam can hook us up. <laughs> um, so yeah, fingers crossed that might happen at some stage, because I'd love to talk through that Kiwanuka album with him. Um, but yeah, he, uh, as a drummer, I've found it, it really in- interesting to see how Liam does things uh, over there. And um, just great to have an Australian on the podcast. I've got quite a lot of listeners in Australia. So if you're in Australia, hello. Um, Liam's hooked me up with quite a lot of other people who I'm hoping to get on um, from Oz. So fingers crossed, he will be the first of many Australians that I will speak to. So that'll be coming up next week. Um, I would also like to say if you want to support this podcast by buying a lovely enamel mug, you can do that on my website, allyouneedisdrums.com. Thank you if you have done already. Really appreciate the support. Uh, You can also see all the isolated drum stems that I have up there, uh, as well as get in touch with me about uh, recording sessions if you're interested in that kind of thing, Um, or just email me about the podcast, or just email me to say hi, whatever you want. Um, so I'd like to say a big thank you to Rory Hancock for putting the podcast together to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music he supplied and to David Henshaw for the lovely artwork that he supplies for this podcast every week Uh, you guys have a fantastic week and I will see you next Tuesday goodbye